If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. So welcome to the podcast tonight, Liza. I'd love to start by learning a little bit more about you and who you were before you had children. Who I was before I had children. Well, um, yes, I'm Liza. I am uh, 53 as of a couple of days ago. Happy um, Thank you. Who I was before I had children. I was um, and still am a doctor. I was born um, in Adelaide. Mm-hmm. and went to school and uh, uni in Adelaide. And then I um, did lots of interesting things and, and lived in different parts of Australia, including uh, Townsville uh, for a little while, a couple of years, wow. Darwin for, for a little while, and then Sydney, um, and just sort of working my way around and working <laughs> in the hospitals at the time. And um, then when I was perhaps late 20s, I think, yeah. I got a job on Survivor, uh, the American TV show. So I worked oh, uh, amazing. on that for a little while, yeah. which took me to some amazing parts of the world, uh, which was great. And um, so I did that through to probably my mid-30s, I would say. Yeah. Um, so... There I was in my mid-30s living in Sydney, uh, working probably travelling pretty much for six months of the year and and home for six months of the year and suddenly realising um, I forgot to have children. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's probably quite hard to meet someone when you're living that sort of lifestyle as well. With kids, something yes, you always you want wanted. To meet someone who's in the same industry, which didn't work out for me but um it, it does for some people for sure yeah yeah and kids were always something that you wanted kids were definitely something that I wanted um in fact I'd probably go so far as to say that not having kids just wasn't an option for me and that's easy for me to say now I suppose but yeah um yeah ideally I would have loved to have had a more traditional family unit and I'm sure you hear that a lot Mm-hmm. Um, but it just it didn't work out that way. I kind of uh, had a series of unsuccessful relationships or no relationships or, or whatever and, and found myself at, you know, a, a fairly crucial age in my late 30s where I thought I really need to get on with this or, you know, it's not going to happen. So um, at 37 I decided... You know, I was single and I didn't want um, my next relationship to be about just going in and having kids. So I just thought I would do it the other way around. And so many of us, that is, you, yeah. was it dating for sperm after a while, aren't you? Because you're just really yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Was there one sort of defining moment that made you make that decision, do you think? Uh, Look, to be honest, it probably was um, the end of a relationship that I had been in for a little while that was um, 
in retrospect, never actually going to end in kids for us. Yeah. Um, he already had kids and um, for lots of reasons that were probably mostly sensible, again, in retrospect, really didn't want to have any more and, and certainly not any with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so when we broke up for about the 15th time, uh, I thought, okay, fine, you know what, I'm just going to do this on my own. And I'm really glad I did. And so what did you have to go through to conceive on your own? At 37, you made the decision. 37, I made the decision. And I can remember going to my first appointment uh, in about the September of that year. And I honestly thought that I would be pregnant by Christmas. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, as lots of us know by now, it's not that simple. And... There's, I mean, I didn't know anyone who'd been down this path before and most of the uh, literature that I had access to um, was based on, uh, we came out of America. Yeah. So um, I really had no idea of what was ahead of me, but it was the, uh, the, legal, the legal hoops that you have to jump through for a start. And so there's the uh, mandatory counselling and and all of that stuff, the mandatory just medical testing that you have to go through, which of course all makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the challenge of actually finding a donor and so all of that, even just getting appointments, it takes months and months and months and that would actually, you know, sometimes I get asked what would be my advice to prospective uh, choice single mothers that would be one of them. If you're thinking about it, get started because yeah. it takes ages, yeah. not just for uh, single mothers by choice or single parents, but anyone going through that IVF process. Yeah. So, I think um, there's so many people who just assume you do IVF, you get pregnant, and it's like it doesn't yeah. always work yeah. out that way, unfortunately. Yeah. So um, it took a long time, as it turned out. Mm. So doing the maths backwards, just turned 53 and we're doing this at 37 so 16 years ago what was um access to sperm and that sort of thing like for being a solo mum by choice back then there was that um no well the clinic that i started out at uh was not the same as the clinic that i ended up at but neither of those clinics used um sperm donors from australia i don't know if, if that's changed now but Certainly at the time there was a real um, lack of uh, available and suitable Australian donors, I think due to the legislation that had been introduced around um, donors having to be on a registry, having to be contactable when um, offspring turn 18. Mm -hmm. And I think that was relatively new back then. I I don't know the dates for sure, but I I know that that led to a real lack of um, available donors in Australia. Mm -hmm. So the clinics that I went to um, used overseas donors um, and it was was fine. I mean, you know, you, you just every month kind of, got your 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 list of who was available and mm-hmm. and some uh, basic information about uh about them as a donor and then once you sort of narrowed down you know the the donor that you were going for then I think you got access to a bit more information yeah I do remember I mean I used over the years because it did ultimately take a long time mm-hmm. obviously lots of different donors um just based on the best of what was available at the time. No, so I do remember looking at the list of available donors for what would ultimately become or result in the boys. And I actually said to the nurse, well, slim pickings this month. (laughs) Don't listen to that, boys, no. Exactly. So back then you actually had to choose a different donor each time. You couldn't reserve a donor and use them over and again? No. No, it was just it was it was pretty much first in first served. Okay, and um, I think because they only brought over a certain number of vials each month. Yeah, that donor may not necessarily 
donate again the, the following month. So it was it was just what was happened to be available in that particular shipment. And did you get much information about the donors being all international? Could you like contact them later in life or? Yes. So you got pages and pages and a letter that they've written to mm. any potential offspring and uh, photos of them as a child and um lots and lots of medical information far more than i would have ever known about any partners that i've ever had yeah um family history things like that so yes lots of information so you were ultimately successful but you said that it took a while to get there what was that journey like that was not very fun i've got to say mm. it was um so i uh it was a number of years. Um, the first clinic that I went to um, for my first uh, egg retrieval, um, they said, you'll wake up uh, in uh, recovery mm-hmm. and there'll be a number on your on the back of your hand and that's the number of eggs that we've managed to retrieve. Yep. And um, I remember waking up and looking at my hand and then looking at the other hand and not seeing any numbers on my hands. And then the doctor had to come and say that they didn't get any. And that happened a couple of times. And they just kept on upping the doses of hormones and without, as it turns out, a a whole lot of feedback about what was going on. And thankfully... I ended up changing clinics and the first thing the doctor said at, at my new clinic was I've never, and he was an older guy, he said I've never ever in my whole life seen anyone on these sort of doses of hormones. And um, he was the first person that said to me pretty much, I think we might be flogging a dead horse. Oh, wow. And you've been how many rounds way. before that? Oh. So he's he kind of floated the idea of um, donor eggs, mm-hmm. and I just burst into tears at the time. I just wasn't ready to hear that, and I hadn't. I suppose deep down, I I had thought, you know, obviously there was something that wasn't right, but I just wasn't ready for that information at that time. So we did one more cycle, and mm-hmm. um, that didn't work. Um, and so then I went down the path of donor eggs. And could you do that in Australia or did you need to go overseas for that? They, the, the clinic that I was at, um, had a partnership or had a partnerships with several clinics overseas oh. in um, South Africa and Spain and Greece and a couple of other countries as well, I think. Um, I ended up going to Greece and mm-hmm. um, doing a embryo transplant over there, which was, it, it was just a weird, it was a weird time. I mean, and they, it, you know, it's all something that they do a lot and it, but it is a bit like going to an egg factory, but, and I was on my own and it was all a bit surreal. Yeah. They try and, they apparently do try and match you with, donors with similar sort of um, uh, physical characteristics and so on. Um, Ultimately, that didn't actually work. And so I came back and by that stage, uh, my sister had finished having babies. So she thought she actually went on to have two more, but she didn't mean to. (laughs) (laughs) Lucky her, right? Mm. So... um, she had finished having, I thought she'd had finished having babies and she uh, offered me her eggs. So Aww. she's five years younger than me. So she was 35 at the time, which is, it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a good age. Um, and she had really healthy eggs. And so she went through the process. And again, there were some more legal loopholes to, to jump through with that, but we, we got there. And ultimately, um, on her first round, they uh, we got six fertilised embryos. Wow. Um, 
froze four, and then I chose to have two uh, transferred. Brilliant. That's very generous of her. What an amazing gift. I know. Amazing. I mean, how do you ever thank somebody for that? Yeah. And like the closest thing genetically you could possibly get. So that's amazing for you. Yeah. And so it was sort of, you know, in a way, the the whole thing in Greece, I don't, I don't even think about it really. It was, it was a couple of weeks out of my life and it didn't happen. And I feel like it didn't happen for a reason. Yeah. A couple of weeks and a lot of money, but I say, did you get a little holiday while you're there at least? Beautiful country. Oh, really. oh. I mean, you know, you're trying to be healthy and doing the right thing and so up the wall really. and lying down all the time. Yeah, yeah. just <laughs> going around being healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Not why you normally go to Greece, no. Yeah, exactly. And so you were must have been forty at that stage, so you had to put back in. Was that the doctor's just, recommendation based on your age primarily? It was a, just an option that I was given mm-hmm. based, yes, based on my age, um, based on the fact that I was obviously um, accepting of the fact that I might might have twins. Mm-hmm. Um, my And so, yes, so I um, was well aware of that. I actually, I, I wouldn't say I wasn't aware of the fact that one could split because of course that can happen but it just did not occur to me um so yes I did choose to put two back um based on my age and the fact that you know ultimately I did want more than one child Mm -hmm. um obviously I was aware that there was a chance of twins and um and I was okay with that Mm -hmm. I thought it'd be a challenge but I was prepared to um, accept that risk and it was a fairly small risk of twins anyway um, I didn't for a second think that it might actually one of them might split and uh, it become three and um, I should know that with my medical background but I just didn't think about it so <laughs> uh, when well actually when I went for my uh, first scan um, mm-hmm. when I had a confirmed pregnancy test and went for my first scan. They saw twins. And so I was excited and um, nervous but thought, okay, well, I knew there was a risk of that, so let's just go with it. And when did you learn it wasn't twins? (laughs) Um, Not until my first uh, appointment with my obstetrician, so at 10 10 to 12 weeks. Yeah. And I had sort of gone into this pregnancy with a very um, very cautious optimism, I suppose. So I wasn't at all like um, I was just taking each each day as it comes. Yeah. And I was well aware as well of the of the chance as happens frequently, I think, in preg- early pregnancy with twins is um, sometimes one doesn't survive. Mm. and sometimes both don't survive and so I I pretty much discounted any symptoms of pregnancy at all that I had in that first trimester and just got on with it and and worked and and did whatever and went along to my appointment with my obstetrician at 10, 11, 12 weeks, whatever it was and he spent a lot of time doing the ultrasound. And I can remember just thinking, this isn't good. Yeah. And he eventually, he's a pretty blunt sort of guy, and he eventually turned to me and said, what did you think was going on with this pregnancy? (laughs) That's a lovely way to start. I I suppose, you know, there could have been better ways to word that. But anyway, I just said, you know, I don't know. I think they saw two. I know that there might be none or, or one or, or whatever. I don't know. And he said, I think I can see three. And um, I just said, I don't think you can. <laughs> I'm a doctor. Give me a look at that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And he did turn the screen around and said, well, there's three heartbeats. Um, yeah, one of them's mine, isn't it? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So I said, excellent. Well, I'm single and I drive a Mini, so that'll work out well. <laughs> and um, I think it was my auntie, who I'm very, very close to, um, she says it was Melbourne Cup Day and it probably was because hmm. um, I rang her when I left the obstetrician's office and I said, well, I got the trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> she thought I was talking about the Melbourne Cup, obviously. Yeah, that probably would have helped to pay for them if you had. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Wow, so triplets. Wow. Yes. So, um, yeah, it, I mean, look, it was a very stressful pregnancy. It was um, extremely high risk, I imagine. Extremely high risk for a whole lot of reasons. My age, um, you know, identical twins. Uh, it just, um, it wasn't a peaceful, relaxing pregnancy by no. any stretch. And, I mean, I didn't you know, even buy car seats and cots and things like that until the last possible moment. I just didn't want to jinx it. Mm -hmm. So, um, and really didn't tell a lot of people until, you know, I was really starting to show, which obviously. I was going to say, but did that take that long? Really, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I can remember going for a scan at 15 weeks and maybe even later than that because it was uh, – the scans took a long time, but the doctor was a a, um, a doctor that specialised in sort of high-risk ultrasounds and high-risk pregnancies, and she was very flippant about sort of, do you want to know the sex? Oh, you know what, just I think they're boys. I don't know. Like it oh. was almost like don't get excited because this pregnancy still might not happen, and I was well aware of that through till. I mean, I just wanted to get to 24 weeks because for me, like 24 weeks was that magical, magical viable. sort of number yeah. where they could possibly survive. So every night I'd lie down on the couch with my stethoscope and try and find their heartbeats and, yeah, it was it was a stressful time. It sounds mentally exhausting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how far along did you get before they came? So I was put into hospital at 27 weeks, um, which I think that I was still working full-time at that point um, and I think my obstetrician just felt like that was the only way he was going to kind of slow me down. Yeah. Not that I'm... You know, I'm not a workaholic or anything like that, but I think I just thought I'm going to work it because I'm self-employed. I'm going to work as much as I possibly can up until they were born, and then I could just take my foot off a bit. Yeah. But um, he could see that that obviously wasn't the best thing for my pregnancy. So he put me into hospital at 27 weeks, and um, I was having daily uh, scans. Mm -hmm. uh, and then about a week later, a week and a half later, um, one of the scans just sort of showed that one of the twins was just having to work a little bit harder. And as soon as he was starting to struggle, my ultra, my obstetrician just said, right, they're coming out. Yeah. So I was 28 and a bit weeks. Wow. So pretty intense, probably first at least 12 weeks in with NICU and other things. How did you go with that? You know what, they were, um, and I'm really thankful for this, for just the, such a great team that I had. Um, they were never sick, mm -hmm. you know. And as he said on that day when he made the decision to deliver them, he said we've got, three NICU beds available, the the boys are well, you know, the the outcome of delivering tiny well babies is far better than waiting for them to get sick. Yeah. So it's not worth waiting another day or two. Let's just get them out. So that's what he did. And they 
did amazingly well. I really tried to step back from the medical side of things and just be there as their mum. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, you know, obviously get involved with all the. I just cuddled them when I could and and tried not to focus on the beeping screens and the monitors and whose oxygen was doing what and you know it was just um it's it's a lot it's very confronting going into the NICU and having all those tiny babies and all those noises and all of those alarms and it was it was a lot but and in fact I think the first time after i had them the first time I was wheeled in there just to, to look at them I actually threw up oh, just through so emotional just emotional yeah um but with they were in a great hospital they were in great hands and they just through I don't know just pure miracle they were well they stayed well so they just grew and slept and ate and slept and ate and grew. Uh, but they didn't really have any days where we had to worry. Just um, giving them enough space to, to grow to full term, really. And just keeping them just one cuddle a day, you know, just keeping them quiet, just letting them grow. I can remember one of the nurses saying to me when they were about three weeks old, she said, I think you've got a really good chance of taking home three healthy babies. And I was kind of like, oh, shit, I didn't really. I, I hope that was always the case. Yeah, but, you know, right. I mean, you, so many things can go wrong. I just didn't. And you hear, I've since heard, and prior to that, was aware of so many just terrible, sad cases where things do go wrong, but I just didn't let my self go down that path yeah because i don't you can't you can't you know so i was very fortunate to bring home three healthy babies at 39 weeks wow and so i'm hoping in that time there in the NICU you went and got the the car seats and the cot and everything i did i did yes i did and gosh what was that like being home by yourself did you have some help with three boys and you wow um, I had my, so my best friend who also had three very small boys came and stayed the first night with me mm-hmm. when they came home from hospital. Um, other than that, I really didn't. Wow. I had, um, <laughs> I had a sort of government funded lady who I, I think I, I got funding for someone to come two nights a week mm-hmm. and help with um, the overnight feeds and she did come for the first few weeks but it was because I was breastfeeding it was actually um, it was it was easier to do it on my own mm-hmm. to be honest I think you just you get into a routine and I mean the the one benefit of having the boys that early was that by the time they came home from hospital they were in such a good routine and all they did was sleep and eat and so they they were I just continued the routine they were on three to four hourly feeds I'd get them up I'd feed them together I'd put them back to bed together and then that was life I remember saying to one of my friends why does this get interesting (laughs) (laughs) It was just, um, I'm not saying it was easy by any means. I'm just saying because they had never had to be rocked, patted, settled, listen mm-hmm. to music, whatever the case may be, they just ate and slept. So they were they were pretty good babies. What happens when they start moving, though? <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> that's a different story. They changed everything? When they start moving, um, I had two that started moving quite a while before one. Uh, he just couldn't be bothered. Is he now the favourite? Because really. it would have been the easiest one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
some wine, please. <laughs> um, I look, I look back and think it was really wild at the time. I didn't think it was, but we lived in an apartment, yeah, and so I, I would stay busy. So I would go out. I'd, um, and it's not all me, by the way. I did, I was back at work. So right. I was probably with the boys, um, I think maybe four days a week and or, or maybe five, I can't even remember, um, and probably working two to three days a week. So on those days I had a nanny. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the other days, yes, it was just me. But I think it was actually really important for me to go back to work because it just gave me a bit of a breather. So that was the first thing. And the nanny that I had was just absolutely brilliant. Um, but we just, when I did have them on my own, we just stayed busy. We had a, a routine and I I was an absolute routine monster. Like <laughs> I just could not deviate from it. But I'd had I had a friend at the time who had had two sets of twins. Oh wow! She said to me when she found out that I was pregnant with triplets, just said, "I've got three words for you: routine, routine, routine." And so I got the book and I followed the routine, and it was like my bible. But we would get out of the house in the mornings and we'd go places, and I had a giant big pram we called the icebreaker for lots of reasons because it probably could have broken ice, but also um, it got everyone talking. Good conversation, yeah. So we'd just walk everywhere with that and we would go down to the beach and guarantee if we went to the beach, they would go in three separate directions for sure. Yeah. And I uh, really did just rely on the kindness of strangers, I've got to say. <laughs> Please bring my children back. And there were a lot of people who were really kind and they would just pick them up and bring them back, pick them up and bring them back, and then they'd off they'd go again. Um, but yeah, it was wild, but that was it it kept me um it filled our days and it kept me sane to stay busy. Yeah. And just it- do stuff. And actually I had a, another friend who was a single mum as well. Um, with a daughter really similar age to the boys. So we used to do lots of stuff together, like crazy stuff, like go to the, the Easter show on Good Friday, things oh, that you now look back and think, why would you take four two-year-olds to the show in the first place, let alone on Good Friday? Yeah. <laughs> Seemed like a good idea at the time. Take three two, uh, four two-year-olds skiing at the age of three. Like it's just so unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> But she was a good friend and we did some really fun stuff together. That does kind of even it out a bit. You get two each that way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And so can you think of an age where it suddenly started to feel like it was a little bit easier? Four. Four. So I've got a year I then, right? <laughs> did not enjoy them at three at yeah. all. I don't know what it was specifically. Um, I think just that age where they want to be independent but they can't Mm. and they are learning uh, boundaries but they don't like them Mm -hmm. and they are finding that they can have their own opinions and their own choices. But, yeah, I didn't enjoy them at three at all. And I have said for years turning four was the best thing they ever did. (laughs) (laughs) They've done a few good things since then. But, um, yeah, turning four was good. It was like just a magic number for us. And then it just keeps getting better after that. It's not that I – I do look back at photos of them as babies and think I think everybody does this, but you look back and you just miss those little chubby babies and you just want to go back there just for a day Mm. just because – it's such a whirlwind at the time, but um, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't want to stay there. <laughs> <laughs> so they're 12 now, aren't they? They're 12 now, yeah. So 
sort of eight, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. They're great ages. You know, they they really are. They um, they're good boys. I've got to say, at the moment. I mean, ask me again in about three years, and I might. Oh, they'll I'm just like, grunt at you by then, won't they? Yeah, they will probably. And so I'm just kind of holding on to it for now. And because I'm obviously the sole parent and the only person that they really turn to for guidance and love and support and whatever, we do. We have, I, I, maybe it's because I'm the only one or maybe they're just these kind of kids, but we have a a really strong bond and we love hanging out together Mm. at the moment again I'll probably eat my words in a couple of years but you know I work interstate uh four days out of so every second week I'm down in Sydney working okay um so I'm gone for four days and then I'm back here for 10 and you know I mean it's not ideal for any of us but we we make it work to our advantage i would say so yeah. uh it gives me a bit of a break it's not why i do it but it does give me a chance to reflect on life with them and i generally hop on the plane and spend the first 30 minutes beating myself up about <laughs> various parenting <laughs> mishaps over the previous weekend but um and then I'm I get back you know after four days and we hang out we do fun stuff or watch family movie or whatever it is but you know having a chance to miss each other isn't so bad I don't think if you weren't traveling for work do you think there's do you find time for yourself still I know that that's something that people do worry about is how you find time for yourself with kids when you're a solo I do now and in fact I always have and I must say, again, that would be something that I, I think is, I think it's so important. So I, um, I'm not a runner or a mad exercise person by any means, but I found uh, I got into running, you know, right. when they were little and I got into various forms of exercise just to give myself a, a you know a bit of downtime mm-hmm. so I'd have you know even when they were one I'd have someone come over for an hour three nights a week and just just so I could go out and go for a run or or do a gym class or something like that um again I mean I was at work so that was good downtime for me too my um but I think it's so important just having some time away, just having some time to talk to other adults and other people and uh, just gather your thoughts and clear your head. (laughs) Have you had any strange reactions since you've had the boys that you weren't expecting because you are a solo mum? I had a few. Um, Probably... Mostly, um, I'd say when I was pregnant, I've mm-hmm. had some really quite surprising responses from some close family and some friends about even like why why I was persisting with the pregnancy. Um, oh, that would be tough to deal with. Yeah, it it was. Um, and of course, it came from a place of concern for me. And everybody's response was, how the hell are you going to cope? But for some people to um, suggest that maybe I shouldn't persist with the pregnancy or maybe I should think about getting rid of one or two of them, Mm. (laughs) I was just, I was quite shocked. And it just, it wasn't, um, it wasn't an option for me after years of IVF, you know, there's just not something that I could have done. Although it was a very long journey to be able to get your boys, do you think, unfortunately and fortunately, the IVF and all the pain that you went through to get them actually helped with your resilience for having them and dealing with the other people? I think so, yeah. I mean, as I said in the beginning, I for me, 
not having kids was ever an option. Mm. And I can say that now, of course, because I have kids and, um, but I just wasn't, I, w- I would have done anything, you know, any, I would have pursued any avenue to, to have kids. I just couldn't see myself without kids. And I feel really, really lucky. But, yeah, I felt like the audacity of these people to suggest that just because this isn't what I ordered, you know, I should just start again. Mm. It just doesn't work like that. didn't have that luxury for a start. Like it just took so long to get there. And you think, I mean, I can remember saying to a friend one day, uh, when I was pregnant, um, I feel I feel blessed. I feel so lucky. And she was just like, could get her head around it. What do you yeah. mean blessed? And I'm trying to say, well. In fact, I'm getting know, any baby. I've trying forever and yeah. now I've got three. So, yeah, I feel blessed. But, and again, I know it was, it's not everybody's cup of tea and having twins is some people's worst nightmare. Not worst nightmare, I shouldn't say that. Like it's just, it, it comes from a place of how the hell are you going to manage that and a place of genuine concern. But you know what? We're, we're okay. <laughs> Sounds like you've done very well with them. Well, oh. I mean, not always, but you just... I, I wasn't in a position to pick and choose. Is it still routine, routine, routine? No, it's no. like just <laughs> one of them said to me on the other night, what's for dinner? Is it just catch and kill your own again? <laughs> yeah, off you go. Catch some for me too. <laughs> um, no, it it is somewhat routine orientated, but it's also a little bit fly by the seat of your pants. Um, they are all really different kids with different friends and they have different interests and they play different sports. And oh. so it's just a juggle. Yeah. Um, but we're lucky to live in a place where literally everything they do is within five minutes so there might be some days where I'm in and out of the driveway seven or eight times over the course of the day in the evening but nothing's very far away and that's a really nice thing about living where we do they're all at school together are they all in the same class as well they're all at school together different classes um different friends um they even get home from school in different ways some walk some get the bus that's you know one gets a lift, you know, one decides that he likes to walk and just listen to his music. And so they never arrive home at the same time. Yeah. They are, they get along really well. And I would say they're really close at home and they are almost inseparable at home. But at school, they are very independent and fiercely independent. Yeah. So they go to great lengths to sort of, um, kind of stay out of each other's way actually <laughs> to the point where sometimes they'll come one will come home and go you know I had a bit of a sad day today because I couldn't find anyone to play with and you're kind of like well did you look though like you know you do have two brothers in the same year yeah so um they you know and going off to camp I sort of asked one of them to keep an eye on the other one. This was a couple of weeks ago and he was like, yeah, I, I, I might or, or I might not. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Lovely, I know, right? But at home they they don't leave each other's side, so it's quite funny. Have you done lots of great holidays and things together, the four of you? Yeah, we have. Yeah, we do quite a lot of camping. Mm-hmm. Um, so we... I'm assuming you've upgraded the mini then. <laughs> I have upgraded the mini, yes. Yeah. Um, camping was something that I did as a kid and loved it. And I, I can't say the boys love it as much as I did when I was a kid, but I forced that upon them. 
Mm-hmm. And so we, I think, again, it just is just still in tune with that, just keeping busy, you know. So we have done a lot of road trips. Last year we had a month off and did a big road trip, a camping road trip in Queensland. Awesome. Um, often with friends. I have a, a couple of friends that are crazy enough to do <laughs> holidays with us. It's getting easier now, I must say. It wasn't so easy when the boys were little trying to convince people that, you know, me and three three-year-olds would be really fun company <laughs> for a couple <laughs> of weeks. Didn't have too many people put their hands up. Um, but, yes, we we do get away where we can and um, they've seen they've been lucky enough to see a lot of Australia and hopefully lots more holidays planned. And what's their bond like with their auntie? Um, she's like, so they have grandparents in Adelaide mm-hmm. who they are close to as well um, and then an auntie and uncle who lives probably half an hour from us now and she's been amazing. She, she even before we moved up here, um, she would come down a lot to Sydney where we were living uh, when the boys were born and was just, um, she didn't have any grandchildren at the time, she does now, but uh, she was a great support. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so was my mum as well, of course. Um, but mum is probably better now that they're a bit older. I think she has yeah, a, a good relationship them. with them, better relationship with them these days. Uh, you know, some people are better with babies and some are better with older kids. Yeah, my mum's getting better with mine the older she gets. Yeah. And I quite like yeah. to, Now that she can communicate better, I think that makes a big difference for them. Yeah. My mum was busy camping when the boys were born, so. Huh. Yeah, be there. <laughs> so do they have a close bond with your sister though or yeah yeah they do really close yeah um she's in sydney and uh yeah they have a great relationship with her she she had um she, her kids are very different she has three mm-hmm. and um she lives in a very, very quiet household where they stay home a lot, weirdly. So it's quite different from us. Ours is a very noisy household where we're out a lot and yeah. when we're home there's a lot of noise and there's animals and there's things going on and there's activity and whatever. But her house, you go in there and there's just peace and calm and people colouring in and whatever. So when we would visit, she's getting better now, but when the boys were, again, when they were smaller, I used to be able to pretty much set my clock by it. But after about an hour, she'd just start to gather up our stuff and put it by the front door. Oh, really? And I'd be like, is it time for us to go? And she'd go, yeah, I think so. Right. <laughs> so, um, but she is great. She's very, um, yeah, she loves the boys bits and you know they love her and uh they have a great relationship she hasn't quite put up her hand to go on holidays with us yet but you know one day maybe when they're like 21 or something yeah maybe exactly when they can you know pay for themselves and have you thought anything or have you made contact with the donor uh so when the boys turn 18 i think they can Mm -hmm. uh well i know they can i think that's the legislation um they as far as i know we haven't we don't really talk about it a lot i think when they were smaller they were intrigued by the concept because it's something that i've always spoken about with them and we referred to him as donor dad from forever yeah um and there were days when like one of them would be having a bad day at uh, I can remember what one of them had a, a bad day at um, preschool so before he started school primary school 
And I can remember saying to him, what, what's up? Like, what, why are you sad? And he just said, I miss Donor Dad. And, you know, obviously looking back, he just didn't, I, I guess he was around other kids that were talking about dads and he missed the fact that he didn't have a dad. That, that was obviously what was, he, he was sad about the fact that he didn't have a dad. But uh, he's probably the one I would say now is maybe the least likely to follow that up. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And as I say, we've, we've always spoken about it very openly. Um, one of them used to write Father's Day cards to donor dad okay. when he was like five, six, seven maybe. But now... You know, if if it's something that they want to do, I will absolutely um, support them. Whatever they, whatever they want to do. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because a lot of the people that I interview sort of have five year olds and younger, so we're still at that stage of being really open and honest and making sure that they know their their origin story from as young as possible. But I guess once they've kind of got the concept, they're probably just fine with it. A lot of them and just don't really think about it's it. It's not so much like we sit around and pour over the paperwork that I got. They haven't even seen it. Like yeah. every now and then they'll go, oh, yeah, I'd like to see that. And then like, like we forget. And maybe maybe that's not the right thing to do. I don't know. But it's just not something that they are particularly interested in anymore. Mm. Um, yeah, I, d- I don't know. But we'll see. We'll see. And with the international donor, do you have access to donor siblings as well, or that's not something that you've pursued? I actually don't know. Hmm. Um, I really don't know. And in all honesty, I don't even know how we would go about tracking down the donor. I mean, it's probably something I need to look into just in <laughs> case. <laughs> I sound really flippant about it. I just... Um, have thought in the back of my mind all along, it's fine, they're on a registry, they can be contacted, but I haven't actually known really and I still don't know how that actually looks, like Mm. what the process is. I know, and I don't know if this has changed, but I know that when um, I had the boys, the legislation was that the donor could only have five families worldwide. Is that still? It depends on the state. So I think Victoria is 10 and then... Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I was in New South, New South Wales. Yeah. Yeah. But no, donor siblings is not something I've even thought about. I mean, our family tree is pretty wild as it is with donor eggs here. And there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so we don't need to got, complicate things further. You've already got some donor siblings that way as well, which obviously yeah, exactly. pretty close to. Yeah. <laughs> and if you look back on your journey now, is there anything that you wish you'd done differently or that you'd change? Um. Really, I mean, no. I, I would, I would change certain things about my parenting, and you know, of course, I don't think you ever stop beating yourself up as a parent, do you? Probably not if you're a good one. <laughs> um, but the actual journey or the decision to do it on my own, um, absolutely not. I wouldn't change anything. I think. I've been really, really lucky with, um, you know, I sound like I wasn't that well supported in terms of people who are questioning my decision to uh, persist with the pregnancy. It, it's not, you know, once I, once it became clear that I was going to do that, everybody was on board. And so I did have great support and, you know, people coming out of the woodwork to offer to help or to, just be there for emotional support or just be there to say, hey, you're doing a great job or, um, and I think that's really important mm-hmm. to just surround yourself with a good support network. But um, no, I wouldn't change anything. Do I wish it was twins? No, I don't. I'm really happy, <laughs> happy with the lot that I got. And um, they are such great boys and so independent and so you know just well-rounded 
kids who are polite and smart and, you know, I have, I have teachers pulling me up on the street to say, oh, my God, your kids, I just love them so much. Like they're just they're charismatic boys who sometimes have these qualities that I look at and think, we didn't get that from me. We didn't get that from my sister. So, you know, as much as I pat myself on the back, a lot of it's actually got nothing to do with me. But they're they they're, no, they're great kids. I just I wouldn't change a thing, really. And how do you think becoming a mother has changed you as a woman? Oof. Well, it's made me a lot poorer. <laughs> especially with three. I think it's just really grounded me. Um, I always moved around a lot and, you know, was always kind of chasing the next adventure or the next thing to do or the next holiday or the next, the next whatever. But obviously I've had to rein that in a little bit. And so having a house and, and being a grown-up, and just feeling, um, you know, I was I was a bit not hopeless. Yeah, no, I was a pretty hopeless teenager, that's for sure. And I was a pretty hopeless twenty-year-old as well. So I probably spent most of my twenties acting like a eighteen-year-old, yeah, or younger. Um, so it really forced me to grow up and uh, empowered me, I suppose. And now I think. Bloody hell, I have done this. Well, I've done it for 12 years, but, um, and so far they're okay. So, um, you know, if I'd looked at what my life was like in my 20s compared with where I am now, I certainly would not, not for a second have predicted that, not for one second, but I'm glad it turned out like it did. Yeah. And have you found any time for dating or anything in the last 12 years? Or... Do you know where I live? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. I mean, not in the last few years. There is a very limited pool of eligible men up where I live on the Sunshine Coast. Um, I used to joke that because I have dipped my toe into online dating every now mm. and then and I did used to say that people would hear triplets and run for the hills. It's <laughs> not actually true, but I would say that. Um, I have had a couple of relationships uh, since the boys were born, nothing terribly um, ongoing. Mm -hmm. And really only because... I'm not a very good picker, as it turns out. <laughs> I, I tend a lot to of us pick that men that become that. children after six months and mm -hmm. I invariably end up just thinking, I don't actually need another child. I've got three. triplets, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So three children and a cat and a dog and uh, how many guinea pigs happen to be alive at that one time. Uh, <laughs> I don't need any more children. Yeah. So I I just I haven't come across that one person who's managed to convince me that it's worthwhile. Mm. Hopefully I will one day or maybe not. I don't know. My life is kind of full as it is, so I don't I don't miss it. And if there was anyone who is kind of on the fence about whether becoming a solo mum by choice is the right path for them, is there any advice that you'd give them? I would say follow your heart like if it's really um a dream that you don't want to give up on then or if, if you can't see a future without kids in it then give it a go at least give it a go and allow time and trust yourself and be kind to yourself and find somebody to talk to and I think that's something that I didn't do very well yeah. I must say is uh, maybe because it, it wasn't 
as common back then, but I think find at least one trusted person, a, a relative or a friend or a health professional or somebody just to talk to because IVF is a really shitty process. It's, mm. a, it's a shitty journey. Like it is the emotional ups and downs are so full on. And uh, you just need somebody to talk to and to cry with and celebrate with and and whatever. But uh, don't do it all on your own would be my advice. You don't have to publicise it on Facebook but just somebody to talk to. That sounds like some pretty amazing advice. So thank you so much for sharing your story tonight. It was really inspiring to be able to hear what it's going to be like and, you know, nine years time (laughs) well thank you for having me i'm alicia and this is the no need for prince charming podcast bringing you stories of australian solo mums who created their own happy ending if you like what you heard please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier bye for now